Hey everyone, Rob here, half of the Fire and Water podcast, and I uh, have been tasked with uh, giving this episode a little bit of an intro so you all can have some context as to uh, sort of uh, for what you're about to hear. Um, due to Shag's uh, jazzercise and my Chris Christie fundraising schedules, uh, we had to record this episode a little earlier than we normally would uh, earlier on in the week. So uh, we did the episode, which is a review show, and then a day or two after that, news came that Colin Bunn is in fact leaving Aquaman and uh, the fact that he actually tendered, tendered his resignation to the book even before the first issue ever came out. And we thought, Shag and I thought that with, with that news, since obviously we don't discuss it in the episode, that it was worthy just to mention a few things um, about that before going in. Uh, because as you'll hear, uh, I, both of us, especially me, kind of take the book to task a little. I, I, I feel like I've tried to be nice about it, uh, what I've been reading in Aquaman, but with, with this issue, I had just sort of had my fill of it. And so I'm probably a little on the harsh side. Uh, I think every little thing in my criticisms are fair, but in the context of Cullen Bunn leaving and the reasons why he's leaving, apparently he was not treated terribly well by fans, uh, we really thought maybe it seemed like this episode was sort of like kicking a man when it was down. And that, of course, was never our intention at all. It's never personal. It's it's just about the work. So we just wanted to let you know that it's, uh, this episode was recorded before the news of Colin, Colin Bunn leaving Aquaman. That's obviously something that we are going to cover later on in the show. Um, we're trying to get caught up. We realized that Aqua number 45 came out the same week this episode is coming out. And so we're like a month behind. We're trying to catch up. I promise we will. Uh, but anyway, that's pretty much it. Just wanted to let you know that that's what's going on. So we recorded a little early. So keep that in mind as you're listening. Enjoy the episode. And until next week, uh, ride the flame and fan the wave. exciting episode of the Fire and Water podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the adulterous Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? 
I am so waiting on Supergirl for Jimmy Olsen to turn into Turtle Boy. That's all I'm waiting for. It's got to be by episode two or three, right? I hope so. That's going to be and fantastic. Was he wearing a watch? I didn't think to look if he was wearing a watch. Yeah, hmm. He probably should have an Apple watch on. He probably could have got some cross-promotional money in that. Oh, uh, yeah. I was so disappointed. My daughter has been waiting for this for six months. We The whole night was planned around it. And I thought it came out at eight. I didn't know they were going to show that horrible, 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 horrible show Big Bang Theory first. <laughs> and then um, she's laying there. She you know, comes on at eight thirty. It goes till what nine thirty. She's asleep before, just like a few minutes after nine, because it's past her bedtime. Mm-hmm. She's just zonked out. So we're gonna have to watch it again. So, but I think uh, it starts at eight next week. I think. I think that's gonna be. I hope it'd be just regular yeah. time. I mean, but she she was so excited for it, and then she just conked out. Yeah. Kid. <laughs> so all right, folks, we are back for another uh, one of our monthly review shows where we review the current issue of Aquaman on the stands, and we review a classic issue of Fury of Firestorm. But, and we uh, have to apologize for being so late because by the time all you hear this, the next issue of Aquaman will be out. Oh, will it really? Yeah, okay. we're a little we're a little falling, falling a little behind, but that's all right. We'll catch up. Well, you get you folks can forgive us, you know. Uh, especially after we do the review here, I think you'll understand. This episode won't take long. <laughs> All right, folks, but before we get to that, we're going to take a second to thank our sponsors. This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStock Trades. InStock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. What do you have, my friend? Shag, this is your favorite, the Atomic Knights <laughs> hardcover edition. This reprints Strange Adventures numbers 117, 120, 123, 126, 129, 132, 135. 136, 138, 141, 144, 147, 150, 153, okay, really, 156, and 160. Is that, is that necessary? I, that necessary? I, you're only slowing me down. Uh, it was written by John Broom, artist, Murphy Anderson, rest in peace. The normal price is $39.99. In stock trades price, $21.99. That's 45% off. Uh, it's a beautiful cover uh, by Murphy Anderson featuring some really cool trade dress. I love the logo, whoever they designed that. So it's really sharp looking. So if you're a fan of the, the uh, 1950s, 60s DC sci-fi, give this a try. And said it features some great work by the late, great Murphy Anderson. Well, you know, the, the new Batman Beyond book, I guess, uh, if I understand right, takes place during the Great Disaster, DC's Great Disaster period, which kind of covers all of those sort of Commandy and Atomic Knight series and stuff like that. So Now, to be clear, as I understand this, this is the original Atomic Knight. So these are the guys that look like you know Knights of the Round Table riding giant Dalmatians, right? Uh, yes, I believe so. Okay, see, so like, I'm more on board with that than the ridiculous, overly designed Atomic Knight costume from Who's Who that was, I guess, in a DC Well, oh, but they're riding leopards in that, too, though. In the okay, but, but I just can't stand his suit in the hoops. Okay. But right. anyway, right. I have picked something really not related to anything we're covering today, but I've been listening to the Waiting for Doom podcast, which is, uh, was recommended to us by a couple of fan, couple of folks that listen to our show. Really enjoying it. Lots of fun. I love me some Doom Patrol, but I, I never have a way to scratch that itch because it's rarely on the, on the shelves. So I picked out a couple of Doom Patrol trades this time. We've got Doom Patrol, who – I'm sorry. I'll get this right. We Who Are About to Die – Trade paperback, which collects the first few issues of the probably the most recent series, I guess is the best way to describe it. Came out sometime in like the late 2000, uh, probably around 2010, I would guess. And uh, it's the one written by Keith Giffen. That's where I'm going here. Written by Keith Giffen with art by Matthew Clark. Really cool stuff. It's it's very crazy. They they sort of took the classic characters. You've got Robot Man. You've got Elastic Girl. You've got um, 
negative man, and then you've got some new characters. It's not the burn revamp. It's not what I'm talking about. This is after the burn revamp. But it's really creative, and it's Giffen. You know, Giffen's the right person to write Doom Patrol. So uh, it's 144 pages. It's full color. It normally retails for $14.99. You can get it for $8.24 right now. That's 45% off. My goodness, that's amazingly uh, affordable. Also out there is the Doom Patrol Brotherhood trade paperback, which collects issues 7 through 13 of that same series. Uh, it's a little bit more. It normally goes for $17.99, so you can get it for $9.89 right now, which is 45% off. So you can get both volumes for under 20 bucks, and it gives you 13 issues of this Doom Patrol written by Keith Giffen. I mean, come on. It, it's gold. So again, uh, also listen to the Waiting for Doom podcast, and as always, thanks to our buddy Doug Suija, Zawizwa, uh, who uh, heads up that Doom Patrol blog that he never updates. So, <laughs> All right, folks, so head on out to InStockTrades.com. And uh, be sure to go up to their Contact Us button, if you would, and uh, just send a little message to them, telling them that you heard about, uh, them, on, heard about them on the Fire and Water podcast. Boy, you know, it would be, you'd think it would be easier for me to say that. Shoof. You know what? I'm going to shut up for a little while. Why don't you talk, Rob? Excellent. Okay, well, I'm going to be covering Aquaman number 44. Uh, this is uh, Siren's Call by Cullen Bunn, Alec Morgan, Art Tiber, Jesus Marino, Guy Major, and party of favorites. Uh, this issue opens with uh, Aquaman coming to visit Mira in her bedchamber. They have a little uh, talk about their problems and they argue. There's a little bit of a flashback ex- establishing what's happened in the past couple of months. They talk a little further uh, and then they decide uh, that uh, it's, now it's time, uh, no more time for arguing, time for loving. So they have some sex. After the sex is over, Mira reveals that she is not Mira. She is in fact Siren. Aquaman attacks her. Siren uh, beams Aquaman to some foreign place. Uh, we don't really show her where that is. It's some sort of foreign space world. We don't know, and that's the end of the issue. Um, the, the main reason, the, 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 the review that really you need to focus on is not mine, and not even what happens in this book. The, 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 what we need to know about Aquaman appeared in a uh, comic book resources uh, discussion thread I started in June, and in, I don't know. Then these comments took place in October, uh, earlier this month. And someone mentions to Colin Bunn that uh, his uh, turn, his uh, his run on this book has been getting bad reviews, bad press, and he's like, "Is there anything that can make the book salvageable again?" Colin Bunn responds to that guy saying, "Thank you for your notes. Um, interesting, you bring up DC's house style because that's pretty much what exactly I was asked to move away from." Uh, And he says, who knows if it, regarding Aquaman, can be salvaged or, honestly, if I'm even interested in trying. Might be a job for somebody else. (whistles) So that's pretty much it. Uh, That's Cullen Bunn admitting this is ain't working. And uh, he doesn't even seem to be terribly interested in in trying to fix it. So uh, I, I feel like I've given this book a good, you know, four months. This this is this is not this is a failure. This this idea, and I'm not mad at Colin Bunn. I think he was I think he was doing what he was hired to do. This is DC. This is a giant unforced error on their part, and now we are going to have to live with this for at least six more months because apparently there's a new creative team coming, in number fifty, um, and that's going to be right around the time that the movie comes out. So we have a long ways to go of sitting through this storyline that uh, I don't think anybody is terribly happy with. The movie comes out? Yeah. Doesn't the movie come out in 2017? Batman v Superman. 
Oh, I thought you meant the Aquaman. Movie. No, 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 Batman v Superman. Okay. Well, so you mean Cullen Bunn's around for another four, five months? Uh, from what we're hearing, the crew, the they, DC is sticking with this creative team through number number fifty is when they're going to change it over. And well, that's it's not really that's, a creative team anymore. It's one. It's just a writer now. Yeah, and right, and, and on top of it, as far as I understand, Trevor McCarthy's not even coming back. Good. So, well, all right. I'm sorry. No, his art was not. I, I, okay. Aside from that, I like Trevor McCarthy. I mentioned that in all the previous episodes. But that's, again, that is a complete failure of DC editorial. They hired a guy who cannot do a monthly book. When they hired him, did they ask him? Did he lie? Did he say, oh, yeah, I can do it? Because, uh, what was it? One, was there, was there, I think there was one month where he did the whole book? The first yeah, one. Yeah, just, just the first month. Yeah. And then after that, he needed fill-ins. So, I, they, yeah. And that's with the two-month convergence. Mm-hmm. Time so, this is, this is DC took a giant, they, they took a gun out, they shot themselves in the foot, they reloaded, and what am I saying? The gun's out, we don't need to reload, they fire automatically. They just shot themselves again. This is, I, I, I'm kind of like, just throw my hands up at DC Comics, I'm like, I, okay. You guys I, are messing with this for no good reason. I won't take that same line. Um, I feel like Cullen Bunn has to take responsibility for his own work. Uh, I don't think he can just blame it on DC Editorial. I mean, I, it, the storyline is his. Whether D- Editorial guided him in a certain direction or not, it's his. And I, 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 I have a hard time just passing it off. Well, passing okay. All right. I don't mean to pass it off, but when they go to him and they say, you know, I mean, I, I presumably they go to him and they say, well, what would you like to do for Aquaman? He says, well, we'll have this. And it's up to them to say, no, 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 that's not too. Now, maybe DC said, no, that's what we want. I, I don't know. I mean, we, we'll, we'll never know, uh, I guess. I mean, I guess though at some point there'll be interviews. But, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of um, – and this is hard for me to say because this, cause it's Aquaman. Everybody knows how much I love it. And the show, our show here, is focused on these characters. And as much as I would love to talk about the classic Aquaman comics, I also want to talk about the new ones because that's what's going on currently. So this is not fun for me to say. But I'm sort of checked out. For, the, for this title, I'm checked out. I'm, I'm going to keep getting it because I have to because it's Aquaman. But I'm looking at it like this is like one of those TV shows that like, you know, goes down a path and you just know nobody likes it. And even the people that make the show don't like it. But they have to like see it through to get it to get you back out of it. And that's where this is. It feels like, okay, for the next six months, this is just going to be treading water, as it were, until we can find something new. And I'm just, you know, it's like, oh, wow, DC, you guys managed to do something impossible. You rescued Aquaman from, you know, infamy. And then it took you all of three years, and then you just (laughs) messed it all up. (laughs) Well, it's it's not over yet. I mean, there's nothing to say that a relaunch can't make it successful again. Obviously, there's enough love for the character. It sustained it for three years that it can come back from this, I think. And and another thing, too, I observed with Cullen Bunn, um, again, another reason I'm not willing to just blame DC, I I think he needs to take responsibility for his own work here, is I was listening to Kyle Bedding's show. King Size Comics, Giant Size Comics, fun. And he was going through the recent catalog that Marvel put out, listing all their new number ones. And he was talking about all the new number ones that are coming up. And I can't tell you how many times I heard Cullen Bunn's name writing, writing a Marvel title. Okay. So I can't help but wonder, how far can you spread your creativity when you take on all these assignments 
until it starts to wear thin. He has other books, too. Yeah, so he's producing a tremendous amount of content and just took on a bunch of more books at Marvel. So I got to wonder if this book suffered because of that. And again, I'm not going to blame DC Editorial for that. So, so it's somewhere in the middle, probably. But I, there are some nice things I want to say about this book. So let's talk about this. I, I want to talk about this issue for just a couple, couple minutes. I think the art in it is pretty darn good. I enjoyed um, Trevor. Uh, oh, Trevor McCarthy. Well, he did the cover. I'm sorry. Um, where's the artist's name? There we go. Alec Morgan, R.T. Bear, and Jesus Marino. So. R.T. Bear's always been one of my favorite inkers. Um, Jesus Marino, we saw him over on Aquaman and the Others, right? I think so, yeah. And Guy Major isn't, um, as the colorist? He's not, no, I'm thinking of Guy Davis. Never mind. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I, I like the, the, the Atlantis colors, the blue murkiness. I think that looks nice. I, I'm very pleased that Aquaman got laid. I mean, that appears to be what the whole issue is. It's just Aquaman getting laid, really. If I so, never see another Aquaman comic with him putting his pants back on, that'll, that'll be fine with me. I mean, dude, this is the very definition of hit it and quit it. I mean, they have sex, and he immediately gets up and says, well, this doesn't really change anything. I mean, it was just like, damn, Arthur, that's how you're going to play that. Wow. Um, I, it does make me wonder if there's going to be some repercussion of this. I mean, often, because comics are supposed to be targeted at young you know, kids to some extent. Oftentimes when they show sex, there's a reason for it, because they're a married couple or it's going to result in a baby. A lot of times that's how it goes in comics. So is this going to result in the love child of Aquaman and Siren and they have to deal with that? I don't know. Um, what else was I going to mention? It's... Uh, the fight, you know, I enjoyed him fighting with her. I thought that was kind of fun, and he got st- he stabbed her. The alien world actually had me sort of, like, intrigued. He teleported himself, is what it was, but he couldn't focus. She didn't teleport him. He teleported himself, and he couldn't focus, so he has ended up on an alien world. I, I don't know if it's Ron or something like that, perhaps, but um, I don't know. I, I, maybe it's because I, I've realized that the writer has given up on it that I didn't hate it for that reason. I, I gave it a much bigger pass than I would normally. Maybe it's just because Aquaman got laid with a hot redhead. Maybe that's, you know, that's my weakness right there. That, that is my kryptonite. Um, but I, I kind of I dug it. It was a super fast read. I mean, I read it in just mere moments. I could have done without the recap of uh, the other Atlantis world. But I don't know. I, um, I've enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than the first two issues of this arc. Let's put it that way. Okay. All right, you don't, you don't want to talk about this anymore, do you? No. I don't. Oh. Okay. Well, folks, um, I enjoyed Four Star. I enjoyed Firestorm a lot more, and I'd rather talk about that. Sure. Actually, I, I do want to ask the folks at home a question. What do you want? To, I mean, we're going to still continue to cover Aquaman, as as Rob said. We're going to still continue to cover, you know, Firestorm. We're going to continue to who's, cover who's who. But that leaves us with two weeks a month to do whatever we want. You folks at home, do me a favor. Write in. Tell us what you want to hear us cover, because I would like to find some things that we're passionate about, that we enjoy, that the folks at home want to hear us talk about. I'd rather it be more like a win-win there, you know? Because I, I, I feel terrible coming at this episode and being downbeat. Because that's one of the tenets of our show is to be positive and upbeat. Because we love, we love loving comics. Isn't that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah, we like to find our joy. So, all right, let's find our joy in Firestorm. Because, boy, there's a lot to love about this comic. All right, getting down my notes here. Here we go. Uh, Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, number 24, cover dated June 1984. However, if you want a pristine copy of this, you're going to need to hop in your um, flux capacitor-powered, uh, Mr. Fusion-powered 
DeLorean, flying DeLorean, you go back to March 8th, 1984. Yeah, I went and saw Back to the Future 2 in the theater. Oh, yeah, I did, and the kids loved it. It was great. So March 8th, 1984, thanks to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics for that news. You pick up this copy for 75 cents. That's not a bad deal. Covered by Raphael Keanan and inked by, check this out, Sal Amendola. I, this, from what I could tell, this person hadn't done a lot of comics except around 1984. Are you familiar with the name? Yeah, yeah, he, that's the, yeah, he's, uh, what's his name? Oh, oh, that guy. Oh, stop it. And no, 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 he's done a ton of comics. Really? Okay. Yeah. I guess it was just that one uh, little thing I was looking at that didn't give me a I lot think of he worked on. I think he worked on staff at DC. Like, really? Doing okay. various backgrounds and stuff like that. He also did some stuff in the 70s for Marvel and uh, Atlas and things like that. So, yeah, he's, he was, he's kind of like one of those journeyman guys. Okay. Well, it's a nice cover. It's got in the foreground, uh, at the bottom, Bite, the villain we saw from last episode, who's all decked in blue and white and sort of electronic and electricity. She's blasting upwards, trying to blast at Firestorm and Firehawk, who are coming at her. And there's some crazy green backgrounds behind them, which we'll find out later on about. And it says, fighting for survival inside a computer. So I guess you'll find out right there. That's what the green swirly stuff is. That's supposed to represent inside a computer. Terminal velocity! And the interesting thing about this cover is it's actually got a frame, because there's one of those pullouts in here where they pull out previews. So the, the framing of the of the cover is along the top and along the side. They've shrunk it down to make room for this framing to talk about the pullout. And uh, so you can tell the Firestorm image probably was intended to be a full-size cover, because you notice like at the top is a big open kind of area where Firestorm and Firehawk are not. That's probably where the, uh, you know Raphael expected the logo to go. So I don't think he knew when he drew this it was going to have that framing around it. I don't know. You're an artist. You tell me. Well, I, I mean, I don't know, but it's it's proportioned to fit as a combo cover. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, you could just blow it up directly and it would fit. So. I have to tell you, um, I probably own five or six copies of this issue. This is your first, was this your first Firestorm comic that no, you bought? Nope, 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 28 was. 28. Oh, 28, okay. But I, every time I run across one of these particular issues in a 50 cent bin or something, I can't stop myself. I, like, I feel I feel sorry for it. It has to come home with me. Ah, uh, that's nice. Kind of has to do with the pullout, but anyway, we'll come back to that in a minute. I loved the free pullouts. We've we I don't know if we've ever really talked about them, and we've talked about individual ones, but I when the, when DC was doing these, oh yeah. man, did I love these! They were so exciting. Even if it was a comic I didn't care that much about, yeah. I just loved the idea of it. I was such a fan of these things. The only one that ever got on my nerves was the He-Man one. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe because it was in so prolific and was in so many comics I bought. Maybe that's what it was. Or maybe it's just the Masters of the Universe. Well, I thought the toys were cool and the cartoon was cool. I didn't want to read their adventures, maybe. I don't know what it was. That one got on my nerves. All the other ones were great. Just absolutely great. And this one, again, we'll talk about it a bit, is, uh, was, was wonderful. So. All right, well, let's get into this, folks. This is a Jerry Conway, Raphael Cain, and Romeo Tengal, Carla Conway, Adam Kubert, and Carl Gaffer joint. A um, couple things to note there. Yes, Carla, Carla Conway is listed as co-plotter again. And this time, we are inked by Romeo Tengal. And I actually communicated with Raphael Cain today about this. And he said Romeo Tengal was always one of his favorite inkers. He really felt like Romeo Tengal inked him to make the – basically, he said that he carried the pencils – they looked most faithful, there we go, to his pencils is probably the best way to put it. I don't have the tweet in front of me. But he said, yeah, Romeo Tengal made his pencils look more faithful to what he was originally intending to draw than other inkers did. So, Romeo, he's a great inker. So. Um, this comic contains, contains anywhere from five to seven scenes, depending how you break it up, across 23 pages. At a 10,000-foot level... <laughs> I was waiting. I was like, you know it's don't... there. You know it's there. Okay. So at a 10,000-foot level, I told you guys last time, last month when we did a review, I said this is a story of the mistakes we make in our youth. 
and the unexpected consequences. And I told you that would make more sense next issue. Like, the only example I could give you last time was Ronnie and uh, him zapping that train car and demagnetizing it and uh, ending up confronting with Felicity uh, Smoke. What? What? Felicity Smoke? Anyway, um, where he was trying to save people and made an a- and had an accident. And there's more of that in this issue as we go through this. You'll, you'll see what I mean by um, the mother and father in this story and the mistakes they made in their youth and how it has unexpected consequences. So the scene opens um, <laughs> where Firestorm is actually riding on the back of a roller coaster. And uh, it's a great little three-panel, vertical three-panel shot. It's a roller coaster. You know, you see the track, you see the roller coaster coming around, and then it's coming down, and Firestorm's sitting on the back. And the professor is just pissed. He is just seriously incensed about this. And Ronnie's basically explaining to the professor how um, it, it, the noise and the activity of the of the theme park at Coney Island helps clear his head. And he's, he's talking – it's kind of addressing the whole issue that you see teenagers always study with loud music or a lot of loud noise around them. And Ronnie says that it helps teenagers clear their head. The professor actually describes it as inappropriate and unseemingly, which are hilarious. Those, those aren't my words. So, Then Firestorm provides us with a verbal recap of what's been going on as he sorts through his thoughts. Um, and then Firestorm spots some kids climbing on a condemned attraction. And he swoops in to save them, but not before nearly knocking himself out on an overhead beam of the roller coaster, which is kind of a fun scene. As Firestorm saves the kids, we get some fun transmutation examples, because I always love those. We get a giant throw pillow and a giant slide. Super cool. Then Firehawk arrives, having seen Firestorm's powers light up the sky from a distance. And she's been looking for him. And we get a little bit of uh, romantic flirtation there. She calls him Stormy. That's apparently her nickname for him. And uh, he gives her some hugging. And then suddenly the professor shouts about they're an imminent missile attack. A missile attack? Really? So it turns out these robot drone planes are attacking our heroes, similar to what we saw last issue. So with their powers, they make quick work of the drone planes. And, we, and then we get a fun scene where Firestorm turns the bullets from the planes into plastic turkeys, which then presumably rain down on New York Harbor. And uh, this is purposefully similar to a scene in Cincinnati featuring Les Nessman and Mr. Carlson, I'm pretty sure. Meanwhile, we see the shadowy folks responsible for the drone plane attack. They're discussing how Firehawk is actually their property, property of the 2000 Committee. And while you're looking at this scene, please notice the purple lighting, uh, purple lighting which represents that lilac-tinted whore. Then we move on to uh, Firestorm and Firehawk actually transform into their civilian identities. We get a scene with Lorraine Riley and Ronnie Raymond actually hanging out together in their civilian identities. And this is actually the first time Lorraine has seen Ronnie, quote unquote, out of costume. And she comments on how he's you know, much younger. He's younger than she suspected. And uh, I mean, that's basically, she's kind of college age. She's probably old enough to be done with college by this point. And he's still in high school. So it's sort of a thank you, Mrs. Robinson moment. They go visit the household of Blythe and Barney Bonner. These are the folks, the teenagers we met last issue. Because Ronnie suspects that Blythe is secretly the supervillainous bite that he went up against last issue. Barney lets him into the house. Barney's kind of a reclusive nerd. Shows him around. Uh, shows him his astonishing computer setup. It's just Ronnie comments that it's like a NASA control center. And then uh, we get to see the Bonner father, who's also their uh, Ronnie's drama teacher, is passed out on the couch, drunk. And uh, in the, from the comments from Barney, you get a sense that this is not uh, unusual. We discover that Belle Haney, who was the lady that uh, Professor Stein was hanging out with last time, who actually life was threatened by bite, turns out that that is Barney and Blythe's mother. So the the guy who's drunk on the couch, he is actually cradling a photo of her because he misses her. Blythe shows up and she angrily throws out Ronnie and Lorraine. Um, After they've been thrown out, Ronnie and Lorraine walk home. On their walk home, they bump into Cliff Carmichael. 
uh, Doreen Day and the star of the new the new star of the Flash TV series, Jefferson Jackson. So uh, I, I genuinely feel bad for Doreen here. Uh, Doreen sees Ronnie with Lorraine. There's a brief introduction, and then they just go their separate ways, and Doreen doesn't say a word, and she's just starting to cry. And I, I can't remember at this point, were, were Ronnie and her broken up? Or are they still together at this point? They're still together, right? I don't remember. Ronnie's a douche. Anyway, um, then they retransform into the superhero IDs. Firestorm and Hawk, Firehawk visit Bell Haney at her computer lab in Manhattan General Hospital. Bell tells them the story of how uh, a story of Blythe and Barney's youth. So we get a big flashback, but you can't tell that because there's no rounded corners. I beat, had to beat Rob to the punch on that one. Uh, and she turns out back in the day, she was a driven computer scientist and uh, turned their garage into a computer workshop. And Blythe and, and Barney, when they were little kids, were in the garage playing, and they were playing with these, unfortunately, with these high-voltage wires. And all three of them got totally electrified. Then Blue Devil shows up and beats the crap out of the trickster, which is great. It's I kind did of not see that coming, yeah. I, I didn't either. Um, it was really a very unexpected moment when Gopher shows up and Trickster and the whole Werner Brothers lot and Marla. And, and uh, it was kind of weird because Blue Devil wasn't fused with the suit at this point. All right, folks. Uh, obviously, what I'm hinting at, and I, I kept talking about the preview I was dodging around in the beginning. Yes, this issue of Fury of Firestorm contains the free pullout preview of Blue Devil, the very first appearance of Blue Devil. Uh, it's a 16-page story stuck in the middle of this thing. We'll come back to it in a minute, but damn, I love that. Thing. Anyway, uh, so we get back to the story about the little about the two little kids and her mother. They get electrified in the garage. All the equipment shorts out. Turns out they didn't actually get injured. The voltage passed through their bodies, supposedly, harmlessly. The father comes home, horrified to see what has happened. He throws Belle out. says that she's reckless. She doesn't care about the kids. She's endangering him. He throws her out. And later on, she didn't even, um, she left, and she didn't even contest the divorce or the custody battle. She, so it sounds like she hasn't seen her kids in like 20 years. Or no, I guess it would be more like 10 or 12 years. Ronnie, Fire, I'm sorry, Firestorm, Firehawk, and Belle Haney are all hanging out at her lab at the hospital, like we said, while she told the story. Suddenly, these enormous electrified hands come out of the computers, attacking our heroes and, 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 and Belle. And it turns out Bite is back. So along with her is her new ally, Bug. So you get bug and bite. I love it. Bite is all blue and white, as I mentioned, composed of electricity, and she shoots these data bursts where bug is green and purple, and he's got this segmented suit of armor, bug-like eyes, and he's controlling all the computers. He's actually on the monitor. He's not physically in the room with them. So Blythe turns out to be bite. Barney turns out to be bug, and they blame Belle, their mother, for all their difficult childhood. They say that she ran out rather than her father throwing him out. She ran out, causing their father to become an alcoholic. Bite blasts our heroes with electricity, and these, uh, she creates these electric constructs, almost like a Green Lantern thing. Bite grabs Bell, and then Bug somehow transports both of them into a nearby computer terminal. Uh, and they enter what would be later called cyberspace, before what? there was even such a term. I know, crazy! Firehawk and the professor convince Ronnie that they need to somehow transport themselves into the computer. Firestorm then alters their atomic structure, and Firehawk and Firestorm then fly into the computer. Don't ask me how that works. Don't ask me how to write that up in a role-playing game assessment, because I have no idea. But somehow he just flies into the computer. While they're in, quote-unquote, cyberspace, this word I've just made up, because it didn't exist in 1984, at, the, at least in May of 1984, they quickly track down Bug. Uh, it takes some doing, but then they, they're blasting Bug, and it takes a little while to blast him, but they knock him right back out of cyberspace into his own real-world bedroom. First one goes toe-to-toe with Blythe, redirecting her data bit blasts, and Firehawk rescues Bell. Well, Bite escapes the real world. There's a lot of people with the name B in this. So it's probably pretty confusing for you at home. 
so Firestorm, Firehawk, and Bell are still inside the computer, and Byte and Bug are outside of the computer, and Byte is now insisting that Bug cuts the power, which will strand Firestorm, Firehawk, and Bell inside cyberspace, effectively killing them. And Bug doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to kill his mother. So he actually struggles with Byte. He stands up to her for the first time in his life. She loses her temper and saps the living crap out of him. And at the same time, at that same moment, Firestorm, Firehawk, and Bell do escape from cyberspace into Barney's bedroom. Byte escapes by flying away, and Barney lays there on the ground, seriously injured. We don't know if he's dying or not, but he looks like he's in bad shape. Sitting with him are his mother and his father. They're trying to console him and nurse him, and Barney asks if Mommy can come home now. The professor says something very insightful, which someone usually does at the end of these Firestorm comics, and says, hate, anger, fear. Why do we let them get so mixed up with love? It's pretty powerful. I actually shared that with my wife. I was just like, wow. So it says, next, Black Bison rides again. Woohoo! Yay for Black Bison. And it says, trying to get to the page, uh, back by popular demand, with a surprise new villain to help him. Just as a preview, that is the smoking Hot Silver Deer. Just so there you go. You're welcome. And then instead of a letters page, we get this great pinup of Bite blasting Firestorm. Firestorm's on the ground, sort of writhing in agony, and Bite is just frying him. Now, I reached out to Rafael Cannon and asked about this pinup. Because if you look at the pinup and you look at the placement of it, this could have worked as a cover. And the way the, the top is sort of blank, you could have slapped the Firestorm logo on the top of it. So I always kind of thought in the back of my head this was actually a um, rejected cover. But I asked him, and you know, was it a rejected cover? Was there something else? He said, nope. It was always just intended to be a pinup. So there you go. Pretty cool stuff. Now, we talked about how this cyberspace term... Raphael Cannon kind of commented on this on Twitter for us. He said that uh, Gibson's Neuromancer was published in July 1984. And this comic came out in May of 84. So they beat him to, you know, at least to the release punch. So they think, uh, so he said, we might just have created the first cyberpunks. <laughs> and, he, and he said it with an LOL. So I don't know that he's really going to push that issue. But I mean, that's, he makes a real good point. And he says the bite face. So that's the young lady, is a homage to Mike Hinge, an artist who drew futuristic designs in the 60s and 70s. Are you familiar with him, Rob? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. And then um, he talked about the layouts, because we asked last time, because it said that Raphael was in charge of the layouts, and I want to say maybe Roden Rodriguez or somebody else was doing the embellishing last time. He basically said that he did the layouts and um, the other guy did the, the faces and stuff like that, kind of describing that. So what do you think of this issue, buddy? This is one of my favorite ones. Really? Yes. Uh, I was never a big fan of Romeo Tango as an inker. He tended to get put on Perez a lot. Oh. And I, I, I was never a fan. But to me, he is perfectly suited to Raphael Cannigan. And this is one of my favorite looking issues of all the 24 that we've done. I wow. really think it's gorgeous looking. Uh, part of it is I like Firehawk. I like Firestorm and Firehawk together. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think they're. Uh, I love a lot of the poses. I'm on page uh, seven where Firestorm is breaking the panel, flying away from the jet. I think looks fantastic. Um, right after they run into, uh, right after Ronnie and and uh, and Lorraine run into the other three, there's that one single panel that that's the wordless panel where it says not a word. Mm -hmm. of yeah. I think that yeah. is a beautiful drawing. I, I really during crying. During crying. Yeah. Uh, I, even even with the inherent silliness of bug and bite, and they are very silly. No, they're um, not. They're ridiculous. They're very no. silly. I, I really enjoyed this issue. I thought it was. I. I, uh, I yeah. I just it was really gorgeous. I, I really love the artwork. I that really took me. I mean, the story's great, 
But, um, yeah, I just thought it was like a real pleasure to look at. So I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I tell you, the Firestorm book is really peaking in these months from, like, I'd say issue 17 to 20, 24 here is really, really peaking. And it's been a long time since I've actually read the subsequent issues. There are some rough months ahead, but they're a ways away. I'd say a year or two away. So I'd be interested to read how the run-up to issue maybe 35 or so goes, because I haven't read these this particular run, including the first issue I ever read. I haven't read them in years. So I'm very interested to see where it goes from here, because you're right, this is stellar. This is an outstanding issue. Some of the things I noticed that I thought were a lot of fun, the Coney Island scene where he's riding the roller coaster is, is a super fun you know, scene. In fact, I was contacted a couple years ago by someone, I don't remember her name, but she contacted me specifically to get the highest possible resolution resolution image of that page. Because to her, when she read it as a teenager, the, that page where Ronnie talks about how um, the concentration and how the noise helps him concentrate and everything, it sort of represented everything about being a teenager. Hmm. And she wanted to blow it up as a poster. So how cool is that? So I, I just think that Coney Island still has a lot of in the in the pillows and the shoots and all that. It, just, it was perfect Firestorm fun. Then page five, oh my gosh, page five is stunning. That's the page where Firehawk shows up at Coney Island. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a nice scene where she's just floating up there. There's a scene where they're hugging. The second panel, though, they drew Firehawk. It's a close-up of her face. And they drew her with pupils and irises. And her hair is not like fire perm. It's straight. She is drop-dead gorgeous there. I mean, I'm, I was like, I had to take a moment. I was like, oh, she is smoking hot. Um Maybe it's the drawing of the iris and the pupil that did it. I don't know. But I, I breathtaking that scene. Like, if she looked like that in every panel, oh, she'd be a, everyone would be in love with her. Then, um, let's see. Uh, I love, I love, I love Bug, Bug's costume. Sort of that segmentation in his suit. I mean, he really, really looks like a Spider-Man villain. He really does. I love it. Because I mean, he looks Bug-like with a carapace sort of thing. Even his face has the segmented lines on it. And I can, like, I can visualize it. Like, how it would be, like, a hard, metallic segment and everything. I just, I really get into that. I think it looks great. Then uh, we get a very nice page on page 17. We get a, a very, very cheesecakey image of Firehawk uh, gratuitously down on all fours with a butt right in the camera. So thank you um, for that, Raphael. We really appreciate that. Very sexy. Spent some time thinking about that. Then I loved uh, Byte's, I loved Byte's data bit blast. I thought that was really sort of inventive for the time. Nowadays, if you think about somebody being in a computer and shooting data at each other, yeah, it's a no-brainer. But back in 1984... You know, someone who was not a computer guy coming up with the idea of shooting data blasts at each other. You know, that was pretty inventive, I thought. I had to think Jerry saw Tron. Oh, okay. Some... Was Tron about by this point? Yeah, oh yeah, Tron was in 82. Okay. So I have to feel like there was some influence there. Yeah. Could very well. And Jerry was, I mean, he was obviously influenced by pop culture at the time. I mean, throughout all these issues, we've seen that. So, Now, my one nitpick with the issue. I feel like Firehawk was sidelined. Even though she was in the issue a whole bunch and she was constantly doing stuff, she could, it almost seemed like she wasn't allowed to be the hero of the story at any point. Um, she did blast, uh, when, the, when the drone planes were attacking, she did blast some of the missiles and help some of the planes, but otherwise she was completely ineffectual against Bite, and that was, I mean, they even showed her blasting, and her, her, her blasts were going right there, through her. She was, held, she was held prisoner by Bite at one point when she got wrapped up by the energy constructs. She needed Firestorm's help to defeat Bug, and then, you know, at the end she got to rescue Bell but she didn't get to stop the bad guys. And I just felt like, wow, she, she felt a little too supporting character. I wanted to I wanted to see her be a little bit more of the hero. So 
That was the only disappointing thing. I can understand. I said I really like her. I think she was one of the better supporting characters, like superhero supporting characters ever run into a book. And I don't think that the book suffered, you know, with Firestorm getting less space. I actually really like them as a team. I, mm-hmm. I think she's like altogether a positive for this series. Yeah. You know, remember when the Justice League went through those eras where you could write in and say who you wanted to join the team and oh, stuff yeah. like that? Um, I used to always think it would be fun to have her on the Justice League without Firestorm. Uh, in fact, there's not that I'm endorsing fan fiction, but there was a, a whole series of fan fiction where uh, she was on the on the Justice League and he wasn't. In fact, there's some early uh, what's that? Uh, what was that comic previews magazine called? <sighs> Amazing Heroes, maybe. Yeah, it was amazing. Well, that. Is that the one you're talking about? I I think so, yeah. Where they used to do a preview issue every year. Yeah, the Amazing Heroes, yeah. And there's a bit in there where they talked about Firehawk was going to be added to the Justice League. And this would have been, I believe, the Justice League Detroit era. Really? Which would have been really interesting if that had gone down that way. Huh. Yeah. I never heard that. It's out on Firestorm Fan. If you go out there and Google, uh, go to firestormfan.com in the search box, type in Amazing Heroes, you'll find a whole bunch of Amazing Hero articles, and one of the ones I pointed out in there is where they, uh, where Jerry had mentioned he was going to add Firehawk to the Justice League lineup. That would have been a net positive. I'm really sorry he never got a chance to do that. Yeah, yeah. Would have been interesting to see what would happen with her on the uh, Detroit team. So, yeah, yeah. Alright, folks. Well, right now we are going to go take a break. Uh, we're going to play a couple of podcast promos for you. In fact, by the way, if you run a podcast of your own, get in touch with us because there is something uh, called the Podcast Promo Shared Folder out there on the interwebs where all the, not all, but a lot of the podcasters have come together and we have uploaded our trailers there so that we can play each other's trailers, we can support each other, we can, you know, it's, it's a great sharing opportunity. So get in touch with us and we'll send you the link to it. It's pretty straightforward. And you can uh, get your trailer uploaded there and you can download some to play on your own show. But in the meantime, listen to these and go out and check out these podcasts. I got a bad feeling about this. You'd be feeling a lot better, Han, if you were listening to Dead Boffin Spies, a Star Wars podcast hosted by me, Ryan Daly. That doesn't sound too hard. It's not hard. You just check out Dead Boffin Spies on iTunes, Facebook, or the blog page, deadbothandspies.blogspot.com. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. Well, I, I don't know if terror is an appropriate description. It's a podcast that combines everything you love about me talking and some of what you love about Star Wars. I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. Fine, whatever. Do that after you listen to Dead Bath and Spies. Yoda. You seek Yoda. No. You seek Dead Bath and Spies, a Star Wars podcast. Check it out. It beats kissing a Wookiee, I would think. Hey, everybody, I'm Paul Spitaro. I don't know if you know me, but I'm a regular on Back to the Bins, along with my friends, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Uh... Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books. We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So, tune in every week to Back to the Bins to listen to our show. 
You can find us at twotruefreaks.com. All right, folks, we're back from break, and now it's time for... Listener's Feedback! And we're going to be covering your feedback from our previous review episodes. That'd be episode 141, where we talked about the previous issue of Aquaman, and uh, which was, what, 43, I think, and the previous issue of Firestorm, which was fire, uh, Firestorm number 23. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to read a couple of iTunes reviews we got. We heard from our friend Bradley Man, who's Bradley Null. He said, love this show. These guys are truly my favorite team of comic podcasters. And then they uh, give us a compliment on Who's Who. He says, the Who's Who show is, without hype, my favorite comic book podcast, possibly my favorite podcast in general. Wow. Thank you for that, Bradley. We really appreciate that. Um, that bribe money I've been sending him is paying off. Then we heard uh, a review from somebody. I don't know who this guy is called. Mike Gillis? Who is this weird stranger? And he says, probably the best chemistry I've ever heard between podcast hosts. Wow. He must I have been listening to, s- to the one that I did with Bailey. I was thinking he was listening to the one between you and him, yourself and him. Thank you for those guys. Uh, we really appreciate it. The iTunes reviews are, are oh so special. Um, if you go out there and give us an iTunes review of five stars, it really helps, and, and comments, it really helps to raise the profile of the show. So if you haven't left us an iTunes review and you're listening to this, I'd really appreciate it if you consider it. Thank you so much. Then we got a note from our buddy Derek Crabb, who does the Fan Holes podcast and the History of Comics on Film. He, he was commenting on the Firestorm issue, how they were going to do the Shakespeare play, and he says, my Shakespeare OCD has kicked in, though. There is no Cordelia in Hamlet. Blythe should have probably listed, been listed as Ophelia. There's a Cordelia in King Lear. Maybe Jerry was writing about a King Lear slash Hamlet crossover for his school play, or on Earth One. <laughs> That's right, it's a, it's a Shakespeare mashup. <laughs> Uh, before we move on, I have to thank Derek for coming on the Film and Water podcast. He and I talked about Creep Show in the most recent uh, episode, so, and that was a lot of fun. So thank you, Derek. Um, wow. Wait, wait, wait to slip a subtle plug in there, sir. Oh, we'll wait till you hear the podcast promos I slip in. <laughs> uh, so we got a message from... <laughs> really? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, uh, yeah, I'm just going to run my own show promo twice in a row. So we got a message from Earth to Chris from the Supermates podcast. He writes, Shag raises an interesting point, which is in, which in and of itself is frightening. Since Mira is in her old school white collar, no sleeves, look how long has she been captured? If Bun retcons that all of the Mira we've been seeing in New 52 was actually silent, I think Rob's head will explode. As so much explodes, I'll just weep quietly in a corner, Chris. Uh, as for Firestorm Classic... This issue sounds more like Spider-Man with usual uh, than usual, with Firestorm royally screwing up trying to do the right thing. Any particular reason someone didn't hand Cliff Carmichael his ass at some point in this series? I knew I could say ass in the comments because Potty Mouth Rob dropped the F-bomb in this show. <laughs> uh, Cliff was a bit one-dimensional. Uh, even Jerry in some interviews, you know, he was talking about least favorite characters were right. He said, he said that after a while, Cliff became very one-note and was not that interesting to write. But... It's just a reoccurring bully thing. You're right. It's, it is very Spider-Man-like, but, but Firestorm was always supposed to be that way. So, I mean, I, I, you know, some issues are going to feel more so than others. And Ronnie does have a long history of screwing up. So, Chris went on to say, I think we'll see Firehawk on the Flash Legends of Tomorrow at some point. CW is just looking for an excuse to cast in another attractive young female. It's CW. Come on, Shag. Their casting director is your psychic twin. She's hot. <laughs> uh, you make a good point, Chris. You make a good point. We got a message from our pal Zumyukinori from the line that is drawn. 
Thank you for the additional Steam Award, gentlemen. I only did this so Rob would not go through life without seeing the 250th issue of Aquaman, though I'm sure he will see for one, for one, uh, a real one one day. Rob, I'm sorry to hear that the current Aquaman title is not bringing as much joy to you as you would like. Maybe when we enter the upcoming, dear, upcoming era of DC, ooh! Uh, and then he also uh, throws out a plug for Ace Killer, which I appreciate. Thank you, son. There you go. And by the way, you know, we should have said this. If you're enjoying the Aquaman book, please write in and tell us that. We're not going to make fun of you. We're not going to – we want to hear the folks that are enjoying the book and what it is that they're enjoying about the book. And, and tell us because I, I would rather celebrate someone enjoying the book than tear it down. So heard from our buddy Ange who's having a good week over at the Supergirl blog, Comic Box Con- comic box commentary. He said, for as for Firestorm, I think Byte is basically a 1980s version of Livewire. Electric, jumping into devices and wall sockets. It's a good observation. And as for Belle Haney and the Professor, I bet she is a wild woman. Maybe she is Zany Haney. And why was Professor Stein looking, talking about hard drive so much? Oh yeah, it was a computer fair. And you're a man after my own heart. I think you must have been channeling me as you wrote this, because I'm, I'm really impressed. I, I, I don't think I could have come up with such clever wordplay, uh, but you definitely were, you know, channeling my libido. I'm picturing uh, Ange walking around the hospital in his lab coat talking about Zany. That would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, we got a message from Gareth Oliver, which is at GBO26. Rob, talking about Aquaman 43 on the FW podcast, was like hearing your parents lay the classic, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed on you. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That is absolutely perfect. Uh, Neil Stanifer said, hey, Shag, well, I really like Terabyte and the worm. Why not go all the way and call them Petaflop and Trojan Horse? <laughs> because Petaflop sounds really dirty, Neil. That's why. <laughs> Or from our buddy Kichi Baker. He says, you mean y'all are doing an episode about Firestorm and Aquaman? Weird. When did the format change? <laughs> it's pretty appropriate. Thank you, Keith. Uh, and actually, he's part of the reason we hadn't, haven't talked about Firestorm lately, because he was on our show talking about Crisis. I <laughs> uh, heard from our buddy Brad O'Leary. He says, Firestorm number 23 was my first Firestorm comic that I ever bought. So cool to see that cover again after all these years. It is a good, it, 23 is a great cover. And 24 is too. Uh, Dale Russell said, good show. I like it when Shag can have his old co-host back on. I hope Shag lets him stay on to do more shows so we can hear more about Waterman. <laughs> then Rich Grammel chimed in saying, uh, Firestorm number 23 was my first Firestorm comic. The cover caught me having a thing for Susan Day, embracing my inner Shag. It does, she does look like Susan Day on the cover, issue 23. That ghostly face, it works. Account Drunkula celebrated one of my quotes uh, on, on the show, or one of our Banters, I guess, is to say, Count Dracula from Secret Origins, Dead Both and Spies of Flowers and Fishnets. Uh, I said, good on Arthur for banging both sisters. And Rob had a long pause, and he says, I missed you. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Count Dracula felt it was important to memorialize that, that back and forth. I forgot that I did that. Uh, we got a message from Willie Yarbrough at Black Vulcan 69. Uh, welcome back, guys. Great to get a new review episode. You've both been missed. Very fun listen. Thank you, Willie. It is fun to be back together. I, I haven't is. had anyone to be snarky to in a while. So it's only so, so much fun to be snarky to the cat. Uh, Jonathan Conrad was commenting about how great Raphael Cain and says he just he, he forgot about how great Raphael's work was on Firestorm. What a great artist. Very true. Very true. Matthew Thomas Cody said he had picked up some Firestorm comics for research for the show. This was at a super groovy comic book garage sale. Nice haul. So well done, sir. Well done. 
from Chris Mounts. He says, uh, you, talking to Shag, and Rob are my always number one in my heart. I've been holding on to the Film and Water, pod, Film and Water podcast to savor them, and I started listening to Trekker Talk, thanks to you. Trekker Talk is done by our pals Down and Ruth Sutherland. They're part of the family, so that's great, Chris. Thank you. Where, where that originated, Chris makes the mistake of posting every once in a while the podcast he's listening to on Facebook, and he'll like do a snapshot of his, his I don't know what it's like a Zonophone or a Zune or whatever he listens it on, and, um, and he does a snapshot of it so you see all the podcasts. And I'm always like, um, why is Fire and Water on like the second row? And uh, I always give him crap for it, so that's where that came from. Our buddy Al, uh, who goes by Van Z, said, "Can't live without Fire and Water." No, really, you would die without Fire and Water. Which is actually pretty true, I suppose. Then there was this bizarre exchange, which is completely <laughs> meaningless to me, which I'm really hoping you're not planning to read, Rob, between David A. Gutierrez and Rob. And it's all just random quotes from this is Spinal Tap that, again, I haven't seen the movie in 30 years, so I don't remember any of this. So I'm skipping over all of that. You know what we didn't talk about, though, that we're going to do real quick before we get to the social media, is we didn't talk about the Blue Devil free preview. So, again, the 16-page Blue Devil preview is pure joy guys if you haven't read this thing you really 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 need to it's so much fun it's a uh, you know it's, it's it's gary Cohn and dan mishkin it's art by paris collins and inks by pablo marcos 16 pages of blue devil uh, introducing all the characters going up against the trickster super super fun if you want to hear a lengthy discussion on it you can hop over to a previous episode of this show fire and water podcast number episode 113 where myself and diablo frank uh really dissect this story bit by bit or hop over to the brand spanking new shout at the devil podcast this is a podcast dedicated to blue devil ladies and gentlemen and it is hosted by two nuclear subs justin barlow and david sopko you can find that at shout at the at the time of this recording they have released their uh, first episode which was about this uh, blue devil preview and then they've reduced released their second episode which is about blue devil number one so head out over there check them out and tell them shag sent you well, Rob, I think it's time to share the social media stuff. And this is, again, this is specific to our last episode, episode 141, which covered uh, the previous issues, our review episode. So the first thing Rob's going to read out is these are folks who shared our content, promoted our show on their own social media, meaning they, like, they retweeted it or they reshared or whatever. And uh, this is across Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+. Uh, Rob, take it away. Yeah, we start off with some guy named Jerry Conway. I don't know who that, Who's that is. Guy? And then uh, Aaron, famous writer Jerry Conway. Aaron Headmoss, uh, Al, uh, Ange, Army of Skanks. Between the pages, David A. Pascarella, Dr. G, the man of neurology. Head speaks, Invasivio e Apparatoso. Jeffrey Brown, Keith G. Baker, Court Industries, Luis, Luke Dobb, Maurice S. Kane Jr., Mikey Ghoulish Flash, Mr. Perturbed, our pal, Paul Loves Comics, Shane slash Boston Brown, The Hammer Strikes, The Pulp 2 Pixels Podcast, Van Z, and again, Willie Arborough. And um, I noticed Rob took the short list. Thanks for that, Rob. Uh, Rob. <laughs> for those of you who are maybe new to the show and you're hearing us just read a big list of names, it's because we, we want to recognize everyone that helps support the show. You know, well... <laughs> What? Why are you laughing at me? I tell you, in the early when I the the, the uh, in stock trades thing when I was just reading the boring numbers. Yeah. From the, <laughs> as I was sitting here, Tracy said, "Are you doing school closings?" <laughs> <laughs> you were just reading a list of numbers. It was completely meaningless to anybody. I thought it was scintillating podcasting, but apparently not. Uh, so, like, I, I, when I read through this list, I'm going to name off Andy Capellish. Well, he hasn't got name-checked anywhere in here, but you know what? He's a faithful listener, he's a faithful supporter, and we appreciate And he's part of the Fire & Water family community. 
And so we want to make sure we give recognition to all these folks. So these are folks who gave us support on, on social medias, meaning like they gave us likes, um, things like that. So, uh, again, all those same networks I talked about earlier. Here we go. Jerry Conway again. Thank you, sir. Uh, Abel Padilla, Adam Joradstad, Alan King, Alan Middleton, Andre Golden, Andrew Luckett, Andy Capellish, Ann Suze 369, Army of Skanks. I love that name. Blue Tyson, Brad O'Leary, Colum Nauer, Carlos Guillamaros, Chief King... Kins. Wow. Chris Mounts, Chuck Rodriguez, Corey Hodgson, Craig Lives Here, David A. Pascarelli, David Golden Artist, Derek William Crabb, Dr. G, The Man of Nerdology, Fan Holes Podcast, Guadam Shirano, Gene Hendricks, Giancarlo Nurko, Goats of Doom, Vizio A. Aparotoso, Jared West, Jay Bamberhill, Jeffrey Brown, Jeffrey Davis, Jimmy McGlinchey, John D. Knoll, Jonathan Conrad, Caxterum, Kichi Baker, Kenneth Spicer, Kevin Culp, K. Kincaid 3, Loran John Skinskis, Lu- Lucien Desar and his bucket of sharks, uh, Louise, Luke Dobb, Matthias Slavic, Maurice Soto, Max Romero, Michael G. Sphinx, Michael Ferrick, Mike Gillis, Mike Schmidt, Mikey Ghoulish Flash, Neil Stanifer, Oscar Lelelede, Paul Loves Comics, Preston Stanzer, Rasheen Washington, Robert Gross, Rory Williams, Russell Bur- Little Russell Burbage, Ruth Sutherland, Ryan Daly, Ryan Wing, Sarah Murphy, Sean Karakick Hare, Shane Boston Bram, Sean Brock, Sean Phillips, The Crimson Scarf, that's a cool name, The Hammer Strikes, The Mighty Chris, The AMC 2000, Tim Wallace, Van Z, and Willie Yarrow. Thank you so much, folks. We really appreciate it. You guys are the best. I say it all the time the Fire and Water podcast family of uh, community is the single greatest podcast listening community out there, you guys totally rock true so thank thank you so much I, I can't tell you how much your support means i mean when i'm sitting here and my phone starts blowing up with all the retweets and everything like that it just it, it warms my heart to, to know that you know we're in this together and you guys are enjoying the discussions and you guys become part of the discussions with the comments in fact if you want to leave comments on this episode head over to firestormfan.com that's where all the cool kids go to leave their comments you'll find a post for this episode feel free to you know say something in the comments there if you really want to waste your time you can go over to aquamanshrine.net and leave comments there as well but then you got to deal with that stupid captiva thing whatever capacha what is that thing called capacha i think it's called pain in the ass. That's what it's called. There it is. Uh, if you want to visit my friend Rob on the social medias, you can visit him on Facebook and Twitter as Aquaman Shrine, or you can find him on Twitter as Film and Water Pod, because uh, apparently podcast was too long. You know, you only yeah, get yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. You know, you only get 140 characters. <laughs> you had to pick the longest name possible, didn't you? <laughs> oh, I, oh, oh God! All right. <laughs> Um, you can find me on the social medias on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, and Tumblr, and Pinterest, all under Firestorm Fan. Rob, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can email us? Firewaterpodcast at comcast.net, and the Tumblr is firewaterpodcast.tumblr.com. We'll throw a few images from the Aquaman book and the Firestorm book out on the Tumblr, so give that a check out. And I think that's going to do it, my friend, right? I think so. All right. Uh, next week, we're going to shoot for a who's who. Let's cross your fingers it happens. We're hoping. I'll get some, get some sleep now. Just right. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, until next time, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice. In sea, on land, in air. Aqua-
Murphy Anderson, DC Comics Golden Age and Silver Age artist, talks about his favorite series at DC, The Atomic Knights, featured in Strange Adventures. Uh, I enjoyed very much working on The Atomic Knights, which was a series, an ongoing series of Strange Adventures, uh, having to do with uh, uh, post-World War III, uh, after an atomic war. Uh, and these were characters who wore uh, uh, suits of armor that uh, uh, were impervious to radiation, so they could go into highly radioactive situations uh, wearing these suits of armor and per perform their, their heroic deeds.